0: Good morning, this morning we are taking a, another leave of absence from Hebrews, <clears throat> and we'll be looking at uh, First Peter chapter 1 intently uh, this morning at verse 5, but we will read the surrounding verses uh, if you will open there. Peter chapter 1 says Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while it is necessary you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Uh, most gracious Heavenly Father, as we uh, meet this morning or in assemble. Uh, We do so, God, as a group not distinguished uh, by many individual members, but as a group distinguished by the the blood of Christ, that which was pictured in the Passover lamb, Lord, painted uh, above the entranceways. Lord, a a signifying mark upon Christians that uh, we shall continue until uh, the end of this mortal body, until the folding up of this world, Uh, And the beginning of the next um, assemble, O God, to praise and to worship, uh, to learn, uh, Lord, to exhort and to uh, use this word that you have provided for reproof and for correction. And uh, as we even read this morning for doctrine and theology and understanding who our God is and what he has done, Lord, we just first praise you. Uh, that these things may be even seen by man, or that they may be even comprehended, though it be because of your spirit, God. What a magnificent uh, treasure that you have bestowed upon us to read your word and to gather from it uh, a knowledge of who our Savior is. And we thank you for that, first of all. Or we do pray that uh, this time and this season uh, in your word this morning would be fruitful, uh, that it would be fruitful Unto sanctification, uh, most certainly as it has been intended, but that even if some hear it, Lord, that it be fruitful unto salvation, that we would uh, see those come to know Christ who have truly never known, Lord, that there would not be uh, amongst uh, the gathering this morning any embarrassment, uh, Lord, of being deceived or uh, maybe not knowing and not fully trusting in Jesus, but that there would, there would be a great joy uh, in professing. Amongst believers, that Christ has uh, done a mighty work, Lord. And we just pray that that would be a reality this morning uh, that someone would come to know Jesus Christ, or young or old, that they would uh, not be fearful uh, to admit a great need for a Savior and to admit that there is a great Savior for that need and that His name is Jesus to Christ. Lord, let us learn this morning of Him. Let us glorify and lift up and exalt uh, all that he is and all that he has said and done, uh, Lord, for in that there is glory only unto you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said this morning, I want to look uh, at verse 5. We have, before arriving there, uh, much like with Paul, we have a, a greeting of Peter, and he is describing for us his apostleship, his uh duty, if you will, his responsibility, his calling uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we know, uh, the apostles were very clear that there is but one message, there is but one teaching, that we shouldn't be uh, distracted or uh, be under uh, some type of division by saying that we follow one man or another man, but that we follow this Jesus who is the Christ. And it is for that reason that Peter is going to greet uh, these men. And he says uh, that this is a greeting for aliens, those scattered, he says in the first verse. And he describes all of the places to which they are. But then he uh, ends the first verse by describing something that we should take into consideration as we consider verse five this morning. He says, who are chosen? Those chosen. And they aren't chosen by Peter. They aren't chosen by any other disciple of christ they aren't chosen by themselves uh, for that would be no choosing at all but that would be uh, self-righteousness and completely unfair Uh, but what we know is that there is one who is doing the choosing who is able to discern the hearts of men who is able to change the hearts of men and as we will see from the text this morning it is most specifically talking about jesus the christ the Jesus who has gone uh, to Calvary's cross and who has died and who has resurrected himself from the grave. This is a powerful Christ. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God, it must, if it is according to foreknowledge and uh, and attributed there in the second verse to God, then it must be speaking of the chooser being a one who has access to divine knowledge. This is important because Uh, chapter 1 verse 5 may be sort of twisted and taken out of context if we not consider uh, the beginning of this particular epistle if we not uh, consider the chosenness of these elected pilgrims of the faith if you will here it says it's according to the foreknowledge of God an attribute that belongs only uh, only to God here expressed uh, as belonging to the first member of the trinity the father and it says by the sanctifying work of the spirit and to obey jesus christ and be sprinkled with his blood the idea there is that the text does not allow for one to uh to dissect uh, god and make him anything other than a triune god to make him anything more than one god or to make him anything less than one god and three persons and what we begin to see is the reality from what we read in the catechism this morning about uh this god that we serve existing as we read the father son holy spirit being equal uh in glory and power and majesty as we see and that is the underlying uh, the underlying facts, if you will, that set up verses three uh, through five and those even continuing beyond there, uh, it says here that there is something specific about this Jesus that makes him different than any other Jesus, than any other uh, than any other Savior, if you will. If someone would uh, incorrectly use the term, it says this is a Jesus. Who has shed his blood? it is inherent that if we may be sprinkled or if we may be covered with his blood, or if we may have one drop of his blood uh, put up on our person, then it must have been given. This makes this Jesus different than any other Jesus. In fact, we don't have any accounts of any other Jesus dying on a cross. We don't have any other accounts of even a false Jesus uh, shedding his blood to cover the sins of anyone else we don't have a savior apart from christ and it is pictured even here in this second verse may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure if this has defined you in fact we begin to understand that the context of this epistle is to christians of course we know that that is the purpose for the fellowship that is what the church is Uh, it's often been uh, mentioned here uh, by myself uh, but i was Uh, rhetorically asked one time, is the church for unbelievers? And the reality is the church is not for unbelievers and it cannot, by definition, be for unbelievers. The church is believers. There is no other church except for the body of Christ, those who are defined here, being sanctified uh, by this almighty God, being covered by the blood of this precious Savior, Jesus Christ, this uh, elect group, this foreordained group, these chosen men and women, not great in stature or wealth or any other type of physical or temporal prosperity, uh, but great only in the sense of their need, great only in the sense of their sinfulness. This is a description of all who would sit under this message, all who have ever heard even those who have not acknowledged. This is a group of sinners, yet some reserved and some created by God, vessels of honor, even those sinning in the flesh, being separated from that sin by this blood of Christ. And this is an inherent understanding that we must have to move forward, that Jesus Christ is saving sinful men, not good men, not smart men, not anything that we would a tribute to being uh, desirable in the flesh, but he is saving the filthiest and the wretched of sinners, and that is the basis for which the statement is about to be made because uh, what we are seeing in verse 5 when we arrive there is not only what Christ is doing for saved sinners, but it's uh, it's not in any way an exaggeration, but it's it's just a partial, but at the same time, full complete picture of the power of god because he is not saving people close to salvation he's saving people as far from salvation as possible he's saving from the very tip if you will of hell even snatching as the bible says from the fire those who are reserved uh, for such those who have been called according to his purpose yet uh, standing on the precipice of Those gates and near the fire filling the heat Christ is able to save. It's uh, a magnificent show of his power that we will see this morning. And that is the focus of the text. Not of man and not of uh, the benefits of being saved. But the power and the stature and the reign and the control and the attributes and the character of this God. It says in verse 3, blessed be God and the Father of our lord jesus christ blessed is he because he was thinking of sinners before sinners ever became he was thinking of sinners before sin ever was he was thinking of sinners before even there was a thought in the universe that's a powerful god this is not uh, a god of uh, greek mythology this is not a god of our own Uh, devising this is an eternal God. He is worthy of worship and he's worthy of blessing. Here it says he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving us a picture of who Jesus is. El Hijo de Dios. I remember uh, when, uh, who was it, Charlotte and Diego were here, one of the very first Spanish exchanges I had with him, the Son of God. Here there is a testimony by the Father and by the Holy Spirit and even of Christ himself, for he is being the Word. But then again of Peter and the disciples, he being an apostle, even declaring that this is the Son of God. He he does it twice. If you miss it, he says he is uh, the Son, and then he says that God is the Father, declaring that there is a divine relationship between these two persons. In fact, it is one that cannot be dissected because they are both eternal. There is no separation, in fact, between the two for this Jesus is presented as being a preeminent eternal Savior and who, it says, according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to which we must be called to remember that none will come to know Christ unless the Father has sent them, unless He has called them according to His purpose, unless He has given them to the Son, for they belong to Him. And this morning, we ought to remember that. First and foremost, as Christians, we are not simply set to a liberty and a freedom in Christ, but we are those who recognize that we belong to the Father. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to our freedoms. We don't belong to our rights. We don't belong to this state or to this country. We belong to a heavenly Father as it is declared throughout the entirety of Scripture. But he has caused us to be born again. There we have the simplest of pictures, the most simplified, summarized form of salvation. And it is not attributed to man nor his will, his flesh, his blood or his church or any other worldly belonging. But it simply resides on the fact that he either does or does not exist and belong to the Father. And is he given to the Son? And if that be the case, then he has been caused. A matter of reflection for us. The sovereignty of God that is exposed uh, deeply in verse 5. He has caused. Tells us how powerful this Christ is who is depicted in verse 5. How powerful this Father is and this Holy Spirit. More importantly, how powerful this Word who became flesh is. How powerful just the sprinkling of His blood has been. In fact it says he's caused us to be born again and this is not just any born again but we realize even uh, further doctrinally speaking that this is not just talking about the power of God and the sovereignty of God. The triunity of our God and Christ and Savior and the Holy Spirit and the Father but this is as well depicting to us the eternal security provided by him that there is in fact such that does exist because he has caused to be born again and is not to temporal things or to the possibility of things but to the reality of a living hope it says through resurrection not a possibility of those things for if one is born again he is born again not to ever die again spiritually speaking describes the hope of Christ hope of resurrection for he has gone first he has prepared a place in his resurrection and in his ascension and he is providing for us mediation before the father things that we did not have before says the resurrection of jesus christ just in case you didn't know what resurrection meant it says from the dead from the dead a separation is, uh, is inherent in that particular phrase. From the dead. A separation of living and dying. A separation of holy and unholy. A separation from saved and unsaved. A separation from righteous and unrighteous. Not only do we begin to see the power of, of god as we approach verse five and the sovereignty of god we must see the appeal of the text to the mercy and grace of god that all of these things have been designed that you who deserve death have instead received life what a great mercy this week and last week i found myself at the mercy of men several times and uh, for even hours, I spoke with Bethany about how wonderful people are, and it is a very sobering reminder that when someone does something for us, how grateful we often are, and we don't forget it. I can remember stories of uh, specifically of Brother Charlie and him coming to know Christ and coming to church. Uh, he has never forgotten what one particular man did for his family. You know the sad part about that is professing Christians often forget what one Savior has done for an entire family of God. Some of us, even when James was leaving and moving, he told us how wonderful it was that Charlie had been after him for so many years to come to church. And he told us, I remember his words, he said, I'm here now because of Charlie, but the reality is oftentimes we And most times, and never do we at any time, give the appropriate credit to God for what he has done in preparation for sinful man. For what he has done in giving us not only life, but an inheritance and and righteousness and holiness. He's giving to us not the things that he owns, but the things that are his and his alone. Think about that. He's not sharing some of who he is. He is sharing all of who he is. A merciful God, a gracious God. It says, verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, which cannot pass away, which cannot be taken away, which cannot be lost or misplaced or misused or, or, or abused. Imperishable, it says. Inheritance even declaring the eternality from which Christ is giving this to those who belong to him. For it is that which will last with you and will pass on beyond you should the Lord tarry. That's what an inheritance is. It's lasting when something else does not. Matter of fact, it's a contrast of what is longer and more valuable than even what has happened with your life. It is... That which is an inheritance. For we know that the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will remain. And so should his inheritance. If but his word is existing. Isn't the purpose of his word. To bring those to know him. That believing as John would say. You would have life in his name. How much further so is this an inheritance. To know that it shall not pass. To know that it shall not be stripped from us are taken that which has been given which i am again reminded that uh, carl said god is not an indian giver it's a wonderful truth about god neither should be an offense to indians but that is the reality says undefiled will not fade away reserved in heaven listen when it says undefiled it means that it exists without being defiled and it shall not and cannot be defiled why because this is a place for those who are sanctified this is an inheritance for those who will be made like christ and if we are to be made like christ and so shall it be that we cannot take from its purity cannot defile and it is reserved It is spoken for, and oftentimes I have in my professional career and my not-so-now-professional career outside of uh, the local body of Christ, I have reserved things for people who requested it. And this, again, will speak to the sovereignty of God and to the power of God because oftentimes people want things so bad that they ask to reserve them. Hold that for me. And what I have found out is if people don't have some skin in the game, they often don't want it as bad as they say. They also often pass up their reservation. This morning the text is very clear that that is what you and I would do. If the reservation that is made in heaven, if the Lamb's book of life were based upon our simply requesting to be in it, this is what would happen. We would want to reserve a spot, but we would never show up. We never could. We don't know the way. We do not have the access. We don't have the desire. That is where the text of Scripture places the emphasis on the power of Christ as we move forward to verse 5. For he makes up all that is lost. All of the shortcomings and the failings and the sinfulness of man, he has provisioned and spanned a great chasm. It says, reserved in heaven, declaring his place as Hebrews has depicted it so far for us being seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high this christ in whom god the father is well pleased it's been pretty good we haven't even got to verse five yet it says who are protected by the power of god through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time There's a great distinction made at the end so that we aren't confused. Often we see and have questions asked about the last times, meaning that there will be multiple instances of progression to the end. This is speaking about the very last. For it is not plural, it is singular. The last time. Notice the beginning of verse 5. Who are protected? What is it talking about? Well, we must again return to the beginning uh, of Peter's epistle. As it is speaking to those aliens. Those most specifically. Uh, as it is applicable to us. In the first verse. Who are chosen. Who are chosen. You know why that we are chosen. Because there are none who seek God. The question. The sermon titles that. Led me. To this particular place this morning uh, were something that seemed to be very popular amongst every camp of uh, denomination and Christian and it was centered around his God an equal opportunity savior. And as I thought about it, uh, most more reformed believers and uh, most Calvinists would say, no, he is not. I found that the Rick Warren types and uh the the extreme uh extreme Pentecostals things like that uh, the apostolic movement and things of such would say that he is and I must declare as I read the text, I believe both sort of missed not to directly answer the question but ask yourself is God an equal opportunity savior and I think the key lies within the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man that the two are not separate that yes Man is responsible, but because man is responsible and he is irresponsible, God is sovereign in saving. Is he equal opportunity? I believe to some extent we must say yes, that he is. For all who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The issue is not, is there an opportunity? The issue is, is there a desire? This morning, verse 5 will declare for us just where Christ is bridging this great chasm. He's an equal opportunity Savior and that we all have the ability to call upon the name of the Lord, both the mute, the deaf, the dumb, the blind, we may call upon the name of the Lord. And we have seen evidence of all of those things, every form of man and woman being able to call upon the name of the Lord and being saved. The issue is, how are they able? The text of Scripture says that man is weak, that we're uh, not simply weak, but full of weakness in fact that we are uh, to say that we are weak is really an understatement to say that we are full of weakness is a better description of who christ is saving men who cannot save themselves we began to consider the psalms and many psalms david himself would declare the weakness of his own body He would describe for us the weakness of his ability to make good decisions, to respond appropriately to God, the weakness of his armies and of his armor and of his instruments of war, the weakness of his body and his mind, the weakness of his spirit. Romans chapter 5 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We begin to see that the reality is that he is equal because he does not discriminate sex, color and all of those things that the world uh, finds to be discriminatory uh, descriptions of people and divisions. Reality is, that is exactly what he is saving. He is saving weak. He is saving white, he is saving black, he is saving brown. We sing the little songs when we're kids red and yellow, black and white. He is saving short and fat. He's saving tall and skinny. Most importantly, when we see how equal he is, he's not only saving sinners, he's saving the worst of sinners. Paul says it himself a chief of sinners we ask the question is he equal opportunity well the text seems to declare that he is the reality is that the opportunity is there but that the willingness is not and that is where god's sovereignty steps in that is where he is choosing that is where he is setting apart that is where he is designing for himself a people that he is causing he is writing authoring faith that is in essence uh the purpose of of this particular verse how powerful god is not only has he been able to save but he has been able to cause us to follow that he is drawing unto himself this christ all who the father has given him and what we will note through here is that the power belongs to christ and only christ and we'll see that there is going to be a sharp knife of the gospel if you will that will cut away the law That will cut away our abilities and any of our strengths. And any of our our strongholds and and, and mentality and, and rationale and intelligence. And then will be based solely upon God's doing. It says they're protected by the power of God. What is protection? Protection is that which makes us safe. Notice that. It is not a protection that lies within our ability to respond. In fact, many times, if you were listening, I hope you were to your uh, previous pastor, John Cardwell. He said, uh, "Man has the ability, the the will to respond, but he can only act according to his fallen nature." That is. Uh, No more apparent in any text than it is here where it is emphasized that we can only respond to our fallen nature and according to it. We will not respond to Christ appropriately unless he does all of these things that is described in this greeting of Peter. Unless he causes us with a foreknowledge and with with a, a saving redemption with his own people in his mind and in his hand before the beginning of time election and predestination these things are called. He has designed for us a saving faith. Not only designed for us but given to us and instilled in us replacing those old sinful ways with that new mind that is in Christ. It is new and it is powerful this faith. Here It as we are protected, we are kept from things. We ought to remember, again, this is not just about an inheritance, though your Bibles may list that as the topic of this paragraph. Those things are wonderful. Those things are byproducts. When I think about byproducts, my wife will tell you she knows what I'm going to say. The first thing I think about is a hot dog. People love them. It's not really pork. It's not really chicken. It ain't steak we love byproducts it's it's the human way see something so delicious there and oftentimes that is the case with the text of scripture that we are looking and we are saying hey here is a feast look at these byproducts this fillers if you will the hot dog of the scripture when in fact the meat is the body of christ the meat is the person of christ There is a feast that is altogether better than simply the inheritance of heaven. Simply these crowning jewels or streets of gold or mansions we sing sublime. There is a Savior who is able to make us righteous. Not only able, but a Savior who is making us holy. Here he is described a protector of these people. And the people who are protected, they are encompassed on all sides from every angle there is n- nothing mysteriously going to sneak up and snatch us from the hand of god that is the protected power if it's a description of those things that are naturally present in the life of a believer it's about not only protection but preservation many of you being military men know a lot about preservation You ate sea rations that were from before your time prepared. I would submit to you that so is this saving power of Christ prepared before your time, given to be the only Savior of man. Before the creation of the world is this Jesus the Christ. He is still as good today as he was yesterday. Even more so, the more we begin to comprehend the text of Scripture to us, we should see with new joy every day the power of this Savior, the grace of this Savior. For as anyone in their old age thought about how gracious it is that God would allow us to still reach our shoestrings, something so small, but with grace and a command of heaven with the voice of god are we able to do it are we able to breathe are we able to read and write are we able to hold our bibles in our laps are we able to access sermons and notes are we able to read and write for this is not just something that all people must do but this is what god has designed even separating and creating languages Amongst men, yet still being able to read his word, preserved in every language. Able to go out and to declare the goodness of God. This is the protecting power of God. It begins not only with keeping us from dying, but it begins with every situation he's protecting. He's prepared with his word, this cleansing power from which we read and we are sanctified, we are washed. We are cleansed, we are made holy, we are made aware That we shall not be overtaken by the enemy. We're protected not simply. uh, And though it is uh, the crowning glory of God's protection. That we're protected from death. He's protected us from all sorts of things. He's protected us from Sunday mornings being given to football games. Or something else that could be an idol to us. He's protected us from those things that would keep us from the word he's protected us most importantly from ourselves from our ability to choose according to that old fallen nature he has protected with his sovereignty uh, those who would always choose death let us be clear that is what we would go after we would follow after death yet he has preserved for himself these people there is not only a preservation of these people but he's got something to offer though he keeps us alive it is not simply those uh wonderful things that we talk about and sing in hymns it is the righteousness of god it is the holiness of god it is the ability to come before the throne this is what it means to be kept and protected Notice that this is not attributed to a man, a mere man, but it is attributed to a man who is God, Jesus the Christ, this power. And some of us, maybe all of us, will find ourselves guilty when we we see this next point. It says, who are protected by the power of God. We were not protected by the power of our own decision. We're not protected by the power of our parents or by our country that we fame to love so much we aren't as hebrew says protected by angels those who are commanded of god not even to the angels did he leave our protection but he left it to the chief in command he has left it to the only begotten son The one who commands the generals, who commands the armies, who commands the highest and the lowest. He has left it only to Christ. This is the power of God. Your protection is not left with your ability to quote Scripture. Your ability to keep yourself from sin. Your ability to restrain yourself from uh, certain liberties that this country may offer or decisions that we may, uh, though immorally, deem acceptable and okay, God has let, left our protection to that, but it is placed in the hands of Jesus the Christ to the power of God. It says, meaning that there is no better protector, there is no better keeper, for He is not only a protector. We sing, hide our souls in the cleft of the rock. He is not only this rock. He is a chief cornerstone from which God builds the church, a place of protection because it is in Christ. But he was the protector of David, those who he aligned himself with. He was a protector of Noah and his family, Abraham and his, Lot and his children. You begin to think about it. No one is attributed with saving these people except for god the protector is the power of god that protects It's the power of god that keeps and we know that angels don't keep us from stumbling the text of scripture does not say that but christ who is able to keep us from falling we have been handed over and are under the direct command of jesus the christ god the son and it is important that we remember those things his sovereignty is declared in verse five through his power through his being the son of god and being god worthy of worship even at his coming in the body the first glimpse of jesus prepared were men to worship and to give offerings and sacrifices much as we like to think of those wise men they didn't give enough you know why because no one has enough to repay what god has done in sending and appointing this prophet this priest this king this jesus unto salvation for men here is attributed to being protected and notice that we're not only protected but there's a keeping from destruction in protection We often forget that protection just keeps bad things from happening. Here we see protection as that which is making good things, yea, great things happen. Again, not attributed to man. Not attributed to the church. Not attributed to wonderful preaching. Not attributed to anything but the power of God being kept from destruction. That's a powerful God being protected from doubt being protected from sin being protected from unbelief there's the problem there's the chief of sins unbelief only man who ever enter into hell will enter because of unbelief for unbelief is the beginning point if you will of all sin even sin of christians we aren't believing what god says is acceptable we aren't believing what god says is righteous we aren't believing that god says he will punish sin when we sin god is protected from unbelief he's protected from all sorts of things and we began to see that it is this protection of Christ which makes him so unique. For, yes, he is described as a prophet. Yes, he is described as a priest. And even a king, yea, there is one Lord. He's able to protect. He's able to deliver unto God holy and acceptable, blameless Christians, followers, He is called a good shepherd because he is not simply protecting, but he is protecting, he is loving, he is nurturing, he is seeing unto full maturity the sheep that belong to him. How many times have you heard that about Christ from the pulpit? There's no one here to blame but me. The reality is this is the power of God to not only protect and to keep, but to provide for All things, not just material things, but all things. This power of God. You see, the emphasis is not placed upon the sheep, but on the shepherd. Preaching is not your best life now. Goodness, this side of heaven. For the reality is that there is none good. Yea, one, Jesus Christ, and he is not here. He's seated at the right hand, but lo, it says not to be... Uh, not to be misleading lo I am with you always he is his presence is uh, physically and uh, now spiritually speaking exactly before God in heaven is uh, described throughout all of text as being ascended in the New Testament seated at the right hand for he is there we have no other hope there is no other power by which we must be saved yet it is a name under heaven among men the text says jesus christ no other no other way no other gospel no other spirit and then we have for us a description of how he does it it is first and foremost attributed to god this preservation this keeping this calling this saving, this sovereign God doing all of these things on his own. No help from man. No need of man. He is doing it all on his own. And we began to see, as much as many would like to say, that it is by faith that we come to know Jesus. No, the reality is that Jesus has come to know us and he has provided for us faith that we may know him more. It says Uh, The description is there after power of God. It says through faith. We only have to ask, where does faith come from? Faith is not learned in a book. Uh, Faith is not recited uh, in a hymn on the pages of your Bible. Faith is a gift of God. Ephesians is clear. Something that we may not boast about except that if we say that it is from him and it is not of men but it says through faith through believing here is everything attributed to the power of god through faith it must mean that this is his means not our means because often we may uh We may quickly answer the question, how may we be saved? And we may say, by believing in Jesus Christ. And though it is true, we are emphasizing that we simply must put on faith. But it is that which we have no access to apart from Christ. It relies wholly upon the intent of God and the will of God and the sovereignty and the grace and mercy of God to give faith. Here it is described, and it cannot be even amongst the best, of misconstruers it cannot be attributed to anything but the powerful almighty god the giver of faith the author of faith the inventor if you will of faith for before god there was no before man there was no need for faith there was no creation nothing that needed to believe and yet uh though there were mountains created and though there were great expanses in the heaven and there were seas and there were birds and there were all sorts of creation, we see that faith was designed for man because he was desperate, because apart from Christ, he would be headed for hell. And it says that this faith must and will and absolutely shall produce something. It is not merely just faith. It's a, a small word, but it carries with it a great connotation. This faith being an, uh, an operative force of God causing men to believe. This effectual force has a purpose, and it's producing, it says, for a salvation for a salvation, for a saving, for a, for a plucking from hell and a placing in the hands of the Christ. Somebody asked you today what the sermon was about, all you have to say is, God is so good. That's what the sermon is about. It's about the goodness of Christ. And yes, the goodness of Christ cannot be examined without seeing the power of Christ and the sovereignty of Christ, the deity of Christ, the perfection of Christ, the holiness of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ. All of these being his, and he has simply taken them and given them to you, a believer. Not only did he give you what you needed, but he qualified you to receive it. He chose you to receive it here is this faith and it is said here that it is for salvation simply put there's no reason to have faith unless you be saved by it and the reality is that if you have not been saved by it you do not have it what a preaching then the problem is there again what would we do if we have no salvation well we need faith if we have no faith what do we do we may only plead for the mercy of god we may only look upon his goodness and i can remember again sorry john carwell when (laughs) he told us that Back in 1985, the Lord saved him. He came to a point in his life in which uh, he cried out to the Lord, if you're not going to save me, you might as well kill me now. That's the reality. If you're not going to give me faith, oh God, you might as well kill me now. If we're not to have salvation, then what good is faith? And the answer is there is none who has but one of those. Faith is not there if salvation does not follow with it simultaneously. This is for perspective. Likewise, salvation is not there if faith is absent. It says, not only is it a salvation, it is a now saving. Stability of God and the reality of Christ upon the cross that has already saved All sins past, all sins present, all sins future, nailed to the cross. You think that wasn't a weighty cross? It had to hold all that sin. And then at the same time, hold all of God's goodness. Outweighed the sin. It wasn't a strong wood, and it wasn't a best nail. It was the Savior. He said he willingly gave himself. The very thing that uh, the disciples hated most. We even read it from Acts this morning. We read about these actions and the consideration of Christ as he was describing his going to the cross and no one wanted him to go. Who held him there? Was it the Father against his will? Absolutely not. Was it powerful hammers and large nails of iron or strong wood grains or ropes it was none of the such it was the person of god and the man that is christ that held him to the cross it was the weight of sin and the outweighing weight of his glory that held christ to the cross It was a desire and obedience to do the will of God. It was a salvation. It says in the text for this faith is producing a salvation ready. Prepared to the fullest. Appropriately just sitting for the will of God at the right time as we read earlier ready not lacking anything this salvation guess what that means that means when christ went to the cross to make salvation possible and a reality that it was not needing salvation your response it was salvation before man could ever respond christ was salvation and still is the only salvation what does he do? He provides Proverbs says the answer of the tongue. He allows us to respond to the gospel. He creates us to respond to the gospel. He wills Christians to bow and bend the knee and confess with the tongue, and this salvation is ready, and yea it is it is unveiled this morning in the text to be revealed in the last time Christ is standing ready seated at the right hand of the Father intercessing as an advocate and a mediator for Christians that in the last time there will not simply be a struggle and there will not be a rush at the gates he's ready ready All who are prepared by his preparation, his preparation, the bodies will be resurrected as Christ was. There will be the joining of body, spirit, holy God, Jesus Christ. And those once sinful men, and they will be present as again a byproduct in heaven. Yes, Passage is about an inheritance, but most importantly, it is about a powerful God who has done all of the preparation, all of the legwork. Not just some of the; He's done all of the legwork. He's prepared you. He's prepared I. We often forget that throughout even Scripture, we see men who are relying upon weapons to save them. The truth is they weren't relying on weapons. They were relying on self. Weapons came from somewhere. They had a blacksmith. They had a man making whatever wooden or metal instrument. Those things relied upon man. And it is for that reason that the Bible declares we must not rely upon those things. But we must rely upon things that are prepared in eternity for those who have sinned greatly against God for those who would find repentance and would find faith. In fact, what God has done in preparing mansions, he has prepared a place for you to go and he has prepared a path for you to trod. He has prepared a breath to sustain you along the way. We begin to see it's more than about, uh, as we say, the destination. It's about a constant walking with christ the only thing else that we may take away from this from this salvation and from the power of god as we read about it is that we must be aware it is ready to be revealed in the last time it means it most certainly will come to fruition it most certainly shall be done we must only ask one question about that why shall it be? And it is because it is the will of God and it will not be thwarted. It will not be changed. It will not be altered and on or lessened in any way. What God has declared in Christ rising from the dead is that man who believe in him also shall rise again. Sounds wonderful. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Ready to happen. The problem is... We've made it through an entire sermon because somebody hasn't trusted in Christ. Maybe they're here, maybe they're not. The world is still spinning, as we say, because Christ is still saving. The message of the gospel is presented by Peter in this epistle, not as of the wonderful things that are in heaven but of the wonderful God who has gone to the cross and who has died and been put away in the tomb that we saw last week and that he has still risen from the dead being very sure he was there three days risen and then appeared again and ascended into heaven that we may believe what was the purpose of the gospel again believing And having life in his name. Again a preparation of salvation. For sinners. God has left a record. You guys may know about this. But in marriage you often say things. And your spouse doesn't remember. They can easily forget. And we can too. I told you to pick up this or that. At the grocery store. How easily and quickly man forgets. What has God done? He has preserved his word that we shall not quickly forget. Not only that, but just be reminded this morning that the reason that you should be sitting in these pews is because he has called us not to forsake the assembling because if we do, we would easily forget. We are to speak to one another and sing spiritual hymns and songs and praises and we are to recite the text of Scripture uh, not just so that we find ourselves and consider ourselves studious but that we remind one another of God's power, God's grace and God's mercy because we'll soon forget. The text of Scripture declares something different for the one who leaves the mortal body behind He will not soon forget the glories of his wonderful cross. He will not soon forget the goodness of God, yet he will remember them. And as our catechism question, the very first one that uh, is there, we will remember him and enjoy him forever. God has done so much in preparing for us, preparing every small thing and every large detail that we should remember through the exercising of our faith the goodness of the Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we have read your word this morning, Or let us dwell intently and purposefully and uh, to the end of our days upon your goodness and your power and your sovereignty. God, the power uh, that will persuade men to believe the power that teaches men obedience the righteousness that preserves us through jesus christ or let us this day remember to give honor and glory uh, to none other than the risen christ to the god almighty one God as we read this morning none formed before him nor shall there be after him in fact Lord we must in a look at your eternal existence see that there could be none after you because they can't get after you're the almighty saving God O Lord we must simply trust in you. Like children, Lord, trust and obey, for there is no other way. It is a song fit for spiritual infants and for the most mature of Christians. Lord, we pray that your text is uh, fruitful this morning, in leading us to do just that, Lord, and to dwell upon your goodness and your character and your attributes, Lord, and to desire them in such a way that we would not take them for ourselves and attempt to stripped, strip Jesus of these things, but that we would delight in being able to share it as an inheritance in these things that belong only to you. God, you have been good to us, you've been merciful. And, Lord, we know even now you are saving. We praise your name for it, Lord, and ask that you would receive our worship today, Lord, and that you would uh, fill us with joy over the work of Christ, that we may have all things in common, Lord, and that we would attribute to you the glory and the honor and the power this morning, Lord, and that you would bless even our meal and our speech and our thought, and that we may enjoy one another's company in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.